So, how many of you are grandparents? Isn't it fun? You just kind of love them and leave them, right? Just <laughs> give them sugar and send them home. Oh, so fun. I, I love that story about Edie, 97 years old. In our last service at 830, we had a lady who came up to me and she said, I've known you for five years. I live in Wyoming. I've been watching online. And this is the first time I've ever met you in person or been in the building. And I just thought, you know, we need to hear those stories because God is using your influence and our outreach to touch people who live a long ways away and even other countries. We get emails. And so it's just a joy to have you, those watching online, get out of bed and get down here. We want you in the, just kidding. Get another donut. All right. Well, today, it's really a joy to be able to talk to you on what we call a, a standalone weekend. And what that means to our teaching team is that the teacher gets to pick whatever topic they want. If you've been around Timberline much, you know that we usually teach a series that lasts six to eight weeks. And we start a new series for the summer uh, starting next week on the nature of God. It's going to be a wonderful time. So I hope you'll be here. But Today, I, I just got to kind of choose where I want to go with this message. And I always pray on these standalone weekends that it will be something that can hit all generations, all people, all age groups, that will be something that is an impactful for helping you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, all of our teaching, we want it to be like that. But I've called this life traits. What are the traits of your life? If your best friend or your spouse, if you're married, wrote a paragraph about you, what would it say? What would be the qualities of your life that would be noticed most? And would those qualities be godly? Would they be stuff that you're proud of? I, I think this is important because you could also call this lifestyle traits. I think I've watched it one time, that show called the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And boy, when I got done watching that once, I'm like, thank God I'm not them. Wow, what a mess, you know? And I'm just so grateful that we have choices. You guys, you have choices on how you want to live. You have choices. Now, your, your, your DNA sets the, the tone of kind of what you look like and some of that. I was out the, at the Welcome Center and, and someone said, man, this daughter, doesn't she look like her mom? And I'm like, man, she really does. That's just the DNA trait. That's not something you can control. But those other things in your life, the disciplines of your life, no matter the DNA chart, you can choose. Do you believe that? That free will that you have allows you to develop your life and somehow develop the traits of things that are integral. It works on your character and you become godly. I love, uh, it was a few decades ago, I think, when that little bracelet came out, WWJD. How many of you remember that? What did it mean? What would Jesus do? And I, I know it was kind of a fad thing, but at the same time, it did, it did make me think about that in my life. And that's kind of where I want to go with this message. Now, there are three traits that I want to talk about. There are way more than three that we could talk about, but I want to just put three on you. If you have our app, you can go to sermon notes and follow along or, or you can follow on the screen. It'll all be there. The first one is just the idea of relationship in your life. 
all of you have relationship with somebody. Is there action in those relationships or reaction? Action or reaction? Now, sometimes reaction gets a bad rap, and I, I know that. But the other day, I was driving on that road from hell called I-25. <laughs> what a mess that is. It'll be nice when it's done, but it's never going to be done in my lifetime, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and I, was, I, I knew I was in the blind, I try to avoid the blind spot of other people in there. And especially going through those tight curves where they have the big cement blocks and all that. But I was right in that blind spot and I thought, I hope this person, it was, it was really high traffic so I didn't have a lot of options. And sure enough, here they came. And man, if I, had, if I hadn't had a reaction, we would have hit. And I'm really grateful that I had a reaction. But usually when we talk about relationships and reaction, we're talking about that knee-jerk reaction of anger, a temper flare-up, you say something you regret, and you didn't really think it through. And let me read a story to you that I think really typifies the disciples. In Matthew 19, verse 13, it says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, now these are the chosen 12, scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these kids. And then he placed his hands on their heads. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he blessed them before he left. Now, sad to say, the culture that Jesus was born in and grew up in the Roman Empire, but especially the, the Jewish culture of Jesus' day was they didn't treat women or children very well. Sad to say. So what the disciples were doing fit with the culture. Keep the kids out of the way. They're a nuisance. So when the kids came running into Jesus, it was natural for them because of their culture to say, hey, Parents, get those kids out of here. This is the Messiah. He's here to bring his kingdom to the earth. And, and that, that was just their natural earthly response. And Jesus immediately, in contrast, says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. This is the kingdom of God. This, this heart that these kids have, that's what I want you to have. So they had this reaction instead of thinking it through and understanding that kingdom principles are way different than cultural principles. And that's true for us. Our culture is pretty self-serving right now. Me, 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 me. Matter of fact, I, what, was the, what was the tagline? I saw a commercial the other day. Obviously, when you're preaching on something, your antennas go up and you see everything. But the tagline of the whole commercial was, because you deserve this. And I thought, wow, that is typical of the world we live in. Listen, I don't deserve anything. I am fortunate to be called a son of God and have that sweet salvation. I, I got my voting ballot the other day, election time. Yum. Yeah. I'm going to vote. I hope you do. 
It's an opportunity we have. You walked in here without the threat of being arrested for coming to church to worship God. Aren't you glad? So there's a lot of great things about our nation that I love and appreciate. But I'm telling you, our culture right now is trying to push you to be a reactor instead of having action that honors God. You get on Facebook and you read reactionary statements. People blasting back. No accountability. No one can pin them down. They just say what they want. Be careful with that. You know, I, I have times where I, I have to be careful. I don't, I'm a pretty calm person. My temperament is pretty easy going. But, but there are a few times in my life when I, I do know that I'm in that zone. Like when I'm driving is one of them. <laughs> right? And, and I, especially if I'm at a, at a light, like with an arrow in the turn lane, and I see the car that's first up there. You know, if your car five or six, you're in a dilemma. <laughs> because if that first person is on their phone and they don't see it when it turns green and they sit there for an extra two seconds, you might not make the light and you have to wait for a whole nother cycle. <laughs> it is annoying. So I pay attention to that. But a couple years ago, I started leaving earlier and taking my time and enjoy the drive, so I don't have much of that anymore. But sometimes when I feel stressed or I'm worried about something, it just it builds up in me and I don't hardly know what's there. I'm super busy and you have these things like, I don't have time for this right now. And Jesus says, yeah, you do. Why don't you make this the priority? Because it's the relationship that matters most. Don't snap at your kids. Don't snap at your spouse. This is, this is what matters. This best friend you have, why don't you take real good care of them? Why don't you give them the best instead of being snappy and reacting? I see parents. I saw a guy. Uh, this was last summer. I happened to be going through this campground. <laughs> dad, dad, there's three kids out there fighting. They're getting ready to take a bicycle ride. And they're just fussing with each other. Dad comes around the corner and says, kids, I've had enough of this. We're here to have fun. <laughs> we're, we're here to have fun. I've had enough. Have you ever said that? I've had enough. I don't even know what that means. Jesus says, let the kids come. His action was way better than a reaction. There's some steps that I can take in my personal life to be someone who acts out a plan that's godly rather than just reacts. And that is to be mindful of the times I'm going to enter that potential zone. If I have a really busy day and I have appointments stacked on appointments and, and I know someone's coming in that's angry about something or doesn't like something and I'm on edge anyway, I pray before those appointments. I say, God, please give me your temperament to really hear, to really care, to not just get over, over this or get through it, but to really offer the best that, that I can. Or sometimes it's, you know the old cliches, bite your tongue? You know, wait, wait 10 seconds. Those are there for a reason. It's so that you don't have regrets about your reaction in that relationship because you can't undo some of those things. People remember that. All of us have little places that, that might have a scar in our life of someone who snapped at us that, that shouldn't have. And yes, we forgive and we move on. But think about the big picture. Think about the big picture. The second one besides relationships that I want to talk about is this concept of stewardship. Stewardship. And when I say that, I'm talking about being a good steward of the three T's. 
Time, say them with me, talent, treasure. Say them again, time, talent, treasure. You steward those in your life. You might be a good steward or not, but you are stewarding those three things in your life. You have to have control of that. And the, the couple of words that I want to talk about are the words prevention or intervention. Prevention or intervention. And the reason I'm talking about this is because sometimes I believe we wait until we need intervention before we do anything about the problem in our lives. And I don't want that to be the case for you and, or, or for me. Let me read this. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus has just been talking. He's been making a proclamation. And it's a, a long teaching. If you want to look it up and read it, do it. And then after he, he's done teaching, he says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came up, and the, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But for those who hear these words of mine and they don't do it, it would be like a foolish man building his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Sing it with me. The rains came down and the floods came. You guys know that song, don't you? I sung it as a kid. How many of you never learned it? Okay. Based on this idea, and this is, this is a preventive story. Jesus is saying, do a good job. There's a, a great story that John told me uh, who helps bring stuff out here. He's just a wonderful man, and, and he told me that there was a builder in Europe who... Um, built a lot of homes for people. And he, he, he didn't have enough money to build his own home, but he built homes for others. And a, a really rich man came to him and said, listen, I'm going to be gone for about a year, and I want you to build me a house that is the best house you have ever built. And I don't want, I don't want you to even think about money. Spend all the money you need, because I want it built perfect. I want it to be great, and I want it to be the nicest house you've ever built. He was all excited and he started thinking about it. And he thought to himself, I can make it look good on the exterior. I can make him think I put a lot of money in this house. But in reality, if I cut some corners and do some things, I'll be able to make a lot of money and I can overcharge him and then I will be able to afford my own house. The rich man came back a year later. The house was done. He looked at it, loved it, said, this is beautiful. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I have a friend that I want to give this house to. And with that, he handed the man the keys. He said thank you, but his heart sank because he knew he hadn't put the quality that he could have in his own house. I want to just ask you a question. How are you building your house? How are you building your house? This is, this is the temple, the house. What are you putting into it? Time, talent, treasure. What are you working on? When I, when I think about this, I, I'm automatically just challenged by this idea of prevention um, versus intervention. Matter of fact, I'm going to write those words up here and have you help me with a couple of thoughts with this. So we have this prevention, and then we have intervention, which is, you know, it's a real similar word, but it's very different. When I think about those two words, they're very different. Prevention, what does that mean? Before. What does inter mean? 
during. During. So, so I rotate the tires on my car. Is that prevention or intervention? It's prevention. I change the oil in my car. What is that? Prevention. If I wait until I have a blowout and I'm hauled off to the side of the road, what is that? Intervention. They got to come and bail me out. Somebody save me. Right? Is it better to eat right and work out a little bit when you can and avoid a heart attack or go ahead and have one and not worry about it? (laughs) See, the point is intervention costs a lot more. And it comes with much greater sacrifice. And I want you to think about that with your life. What are the things you can do in prevention? And there are many things in my life that I really think is, is very important to me that I prevent from ever happening because I don't want to be in a situation where there has to be intervention because that is costly and it's hard. As a church, I'll just tell you, Timberline Church, we do both of these. Every healthy church needs to do both of these. And here's why. Both exist on the earth. Is a hurricane something you can prevent? We don't know how to stop a hurricane. The other day I was riding my bicycle along the river out here on that trail. And one of the bridges, the water's too high. And it says, go around. And I looked at that and thought, well, I'll just stop the water flow. (laughs) How many of you know that's not going to work? No, it's not going to work. Why? Because you can't prevent that. So we as a church, when hurricanes hit, when floods happen, when fires happen, we, we fund intervention. We're there, Convoy of Hope and other ministries like that. You give to that. Part of your tithe, your giving in this church goes to this. You can be thankful for that and proud of that. But another portion of your tithe, let me just give you an example. Kids. We love kids. We love your kids. And we want to partner with you in preventing them from falling off the wagon someday in their faith. Amen? That's why Pastor Felix, who was on this stage earlier, our children's pastor, has a whole staff so that we can put God to the best of our ability into your children. We are investing. When you give at Timberline, a portion of that dollar goes to loving those kids. Because we believe in it. We want to do that. We're partnering with you as parents. Here's another one. Youth. Teenagers. Man, I'm glad I'm not raising teenagers right now. Wow, what a tough culture. We have a youth pastor and a staff that love teenagers, middle school students. Why do we do that? Why do we give to that? Why do we build a team? Why is that part of our budget? Because we want to prevent any kid who comes to this church from ever even having a thought of attempting suicide. We want them to feel valuable and loved. We want to connect them to the God who created them and loved them. We don't want them doing illegal drugs. We don't want them running with the wrong crowd. Why? Because prevention is way better than intervention. When we have to do that, we will. But I love giving to that. How many of you are married? 
How many of you wish you weren't? No, don't. Don't answer that. <laughs> don't, I was kidding. You know, when we have marriage retreats, we have counseling for, for marriages in trouble. You know why we do that? You know why we fund that? Prevention. Your giving helps keep marriages healthy. Work on your marriage. Prevent those things. Don't go to bed angry. Pay attention to what's going on in your life with your marriage and your kids. Why? It should be a very high priority. Don't wait until you need this. Man, it'll cost you so much. Time, energy, pain, rejection. Let's get in there ahead of time. I even think, this sounds crazy, but I even think things like, like this building. How old is this building now? Anybody know? 2000? 2001? That was kind of the move in. 20, over 20 years. Wow, still beautiful. I'm thankful. But just got word last year we need to change all the HVAC system out because some of them are failing. How many of you are glad we have air conditioning today? How many of you came to church just because we have air conditioning? <laughs> You should have seen the hands last night on that question. It was hot yesterday. Wow. I love, I'm, I'm a giver to Timberline. Bonnie and I give regularly. And I love being a part of that. We're, we're replacing them one at a time. It's over a million dollars. But we have prepared. We've built that into our budget. So we can prevent a crisis weekend. I'm glad our sound system works today. I'm glad you have a chair you can trust. You didn't even think about that, but these are big things. These are stewardship things. We have a parking lot we need to take care of. Do you know how much it would cost to pour asphalt the size of our parking lot? It'd be millions. We put $50,000 just to put the, you know, the tar on top and make it nice and black and and so it will last. And, and I know some of you, when you drove in, you said, look at this parking lot. <laughs> Praise God, look at this stripe. Wow. Wow. No, you never had a thought of it. But I don't want to ever have to have intervention with these types of things. And so we plan, we steward. But that's the joy. Of, I'm not, this sermon isn't about tithing or money, but I'm telling you, take it. When you tithe, when you give, when you are a percentage giver and you decide, I'm in, you're putting money in all the pieces of that pie. And it's godly. It's right. It's appropriate. Because people find Jesus in this room every weekend. People's lives are changed. I'm, I'm a part of that. You're a part of that. Why? Because we believe in prevention. I love giving to prevent I love the fact that we can do the things God asks us to do and make a difference. Bonnie and I have a savings account. When we were first married, we did not. For many years. How many of you remember those days? You know, some of you are in them right now, and it just takes every penny just to fill up your car with gas. <laughs> I get it. Sometimes I look at that, and it's not that much money, but I say, man, we could use that for something else. It's important for me to pay attention that I want to I prevent. 
because I know intervention is going to be needed at some point that's unexpected in my life. Let's move on. Last thing. Ownership. When it comes to ownership, are you a giver or a taker? Giver or taker. Now, I want to say this because I don't want to create anxiety. We all should be a little bit of both. Jesus let people give him things. He let Mary Magdalene worship him. He allowed that box of fragrance to be opened. So, so he's a receiver as well. Be humble in your receiving because people sometimes might feel they want to give to you and it will bless you and it will encourage you. So giving and taking is very real. But I will say this, live on the side of giving more than taking. That's a godly trait. We are called to be givers. Now let me read in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, there's a very interesting story that says a lot about this giving and taking. Jesus, he sits down near the collection box in the temple. And he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. And it was on their way out. And sometimes it was on their way in. But many, many uh, rich people put in large amounts. And they did it where people could see them. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. So Jesus calls his disciples to him. It's like a huddle. He brings him in and he says, hey, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. And, and here's why. They gave a tiny part out of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, gave everything she had to live on. Now, before we jump to conclusions, there are many other parables. This is not trying to say you should give everything that you live on in an offering today. Jesus wants you to steward what you have. But he, he's trying to show the contrast between what it means to be a, a giver even when there's sacrifice involved. Because you can give with no sacrifice. It's just extra change. You, you don't need it anyway. And he's trying to let his disciples see that real giving sometimes involves sacrifice. And you contemplate it. You think about it. To, to live as a giver in this world we live in is going to take some, some foresight. It's going to take some planning. It's going to take you prayerfully going to God and saying, how can I be a giver? Of, of the three T's, time, talent, treasure. Same with me. Time, talent, treasure. Some of you are way better at giving your time because you don't have any treasure. <laughs> That's wonderful. Some of you, your time is gone, but you, can, you, you have treasure and you can give financially. That's wonderful. So it's not about trying to wish you could do something different. It's about you being a giver with what you have at the level that you can in time, talent, and treasure. I often hear people, you know, say, wow, if I, if I ha had a lot of money, I would sure give to that. And I, I've learned through the years, and, and many people would, but I've learned through the years that probably if you had a lot of money dumped in your lap, you'd probably give about the same proportion of that money as you do now. Because it's a discipline. It's not about the amount. It's about the discipline in which I give my time, my talent, my treasure. And God wants us to be givers rather than takers. I, I think about these, these action steps that I'm going I'm to give you right now. The last three things, and these are just steps. 
that will help you plan this week some of the things that are important for you. If, if you're a homework person, and these are real simple, I have a harder one in a minute, but these three are pretty easy. Try to catch yourself next time you react rather than act. Like try to, try to actually say, I'm reacting right now. So I've tried this for a few days, and I, I had a couple times when I had a reaction, um, and I, I had to stop and say, how do I want to behave right now? <laughs> how do I want to behave? And it made me smile, like literally, um, because I knew I was preaching on this exact thing. <laughs> and I needed to be good. Now tomorrow, <laughs> number two is make a short list of the things you could prevent. I did this, and, and I think I was, I thought of a couple new ones, but most of them will be a list that you already know, and, and you're mature enough to, to be working at preventing these things right now. But make a little list. Things you can prevent. Am I doing this in prevention so that I never have a need for intervention? Because, man, it costs a lot more, and it's a lot harder, and it wounds a lot of people. Intervention is tough. And the third one is just keep track for one week of whether you're giving or taking. Just think about it. Just, just as you go through this week, maybe put a little thing on your phone in your notes section or something that says give or take. And then walk through your day and put down the times you were a giver, put down the times you were receiving. And, and let God talk to you about that. We're in a culture that's all about self and me, as I said. And we want to break the back of that, don't we? As a church, we're a giving church. I had a full-blown atheist come to me and say, I sure love Timberline Church. And I said, you've never been there. I called him my name. He's my friend. He's been my friend for years. He said, no, I've never been there. I don't believe in God, but you guys sure do a lot in our community. And I just walked away from that saying, thank you, God, that we can turn the tide. We can we can go against that current that says it's all about me, number one. Guys, I invite you to step into being a giver in your life and think about it and plan it and honor God in that way because as a church, we're going to continue to be a giving church and you're a part of that. Amen? If you really want some homework, which I don't like homework, um, but I did try this. And I stopped because it got kind of hard. But <laughs> I wrote on a piece of paper, a life with godly traits looks like this. A life with godly traits looks like this. And then I attempted to write what it looks like. Wow. I'm not there yet. But I'm working toward it. And I'm believing God to help knock off the rough edges of my life. How about you? Let's pray together. Lord, we need you. This is not a life we can do on our own. This is not about our strength or our personality or our giftedness. It's about yielding and surrendering and letting the Holy Spirit touch those places in, a, in us that need to change. So without guilt, without force, without it being some big thing, we just simply say yes today. We need you. We need you in our relationships. We need to trust you in those. We need you in our stewardship. 
And we certainly need you in every life trait that we have. We are blessed by you. Touch folks today, Lord, here, those that are watching online, just be with them in this very moment even. And if you're without Jesus today, if you're separated from God for any reason, could I just lead you in a prayer online or here in this room? Just if you feel compelled, maybe it's a knock on your heart. The Holy Spirit is calling you to follow Jesus. Right now, right where you are, just say, Lord, I surrender to you. I want to be a follower. I believe you are the Son of God. You died on that cross for my sin, and you rose from the dead, and I pledge to you the rest of my life. Start there. We'll help you. God will help you. His Spirit will help you as you walk in obedience to this God who calls you son and daughter. Praise God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're blessed by your presence in this room today. In Jesus' name.